Spirit has preserved for us the words spoken by God the Son to God the Father. It's as if uh, we have, have been permitted a glimpse into the most private life of the triune God. But as remarkable as this passage is, it is uh, also perhaps a little peculiar to us, striking. Consider what Jesus says in his prayer. Only I want you to consider it first on the lips of someone else. What if, Jesus, or what if Peter had lifted up his eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, glorify me? Or what if James had prayed that or the apostle John had prayed that? Would you ever consider praying, Father, glorify me? Now, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders in Jesus' day, were not within earshot when Jesus uh, prayed this prayer. Uh, but if you know anything about the Pharisees, you know that they would have reacted uh, with great fury if they had heard Jesus pray this prayer, Father, glorify me, your, your son. All right? They would have absolutely blown a gasket to, to hear Jesus say this. They would have responded by saying, God does not give his glory to another, quoting the prophet Isaiah. It would have struck them as absolutely unthinkable and entirely inappropriate for Jesus, or for anyone for that matter, to ask God to glorify themselves. Now perhaps this evening, you're coming to this part of the Bible for the first time, and, and uh, these words struck you as, as a bit strange too. It seems weird, uh, maybe a bit uh, self aggrandizing or self-interested for someone to pray as Jesus did in John 17, glorify me, glorify your son. We've all known people, right, who have, uh, uh, we just felt like they were uh, glory hounds or glory seekers and they wanted to make sure that everyone knew or understood how great uh, they were or how great they thought they were. And understandably, we're turned off by such uh, behavior. We find this distasteful. So maybe you come to this text and you're wondering, how is this any different? But before you write off Jesus as a conceited glory seeker, or perhaps more uh, likely for many of you, perhaps before you quickly gloss over the peculiarity of Jesus' prayer, we need to seek to understand Jesus and his prayer. What exactly is Jesus praying? And why does he pray it? Why does Jesus ask that the Father uh, would glorify him? Well, these are the questions that I want to address tonight as we turn our attention to this passage. And I want to do it uh, by, by looking at three things. First, the occasion for Jesus' prayer. Then secondly, the aim of Jesus' prayer. And then thirdly, the answer to Jesus' prayer. Now, if we're to properly consider Jesus' prayer, we need to consider first the occasion for it. This isn't just some generic prayer that Jesus prayed that you could sort of copy and paste to anywhere else in the Gospels without consequence or without losing a sense of its meaning. This is a prayer that Jesus prays for a particular moment. Jesus prays this prayer right after he's finished preaching to his disciples, which you can read about in John 14 to 16. And in his sermon to his disciples, uh, he, uh, he has told them that he was going to be leaving very shortly and he seeks to comfort them by speaking to them about his relationship to them and the ministry of the Holy Spirit who he would send to them. Jesus is here giving final instructions. He's giving final comforts to his friends before he must leave them. 
And once Jesus finishes this amazing sermon, he lifts up his eyes to the heavens and he begins to pray, Father, the hour has come. Now, in John's gospel, it's as if a clock has been tick-ticking in in the background throughout as Jesus goes about his ministry. In John chapter 2, when Jesus is at the wedding in Cana, his uh, mother comes to him when there's a, a, a wine shortage uh, and, and asks Jesus to remedy the, the problem. And uh, I love how Jesus answers. He says, woman, uh, what does this have to do with me? And then what does he say? He says, my hour has not yet come. And similar comments are recorded throughout uh, uh, the gospel of John. And John is doing this to strengthen our impression that Jesus is moving toward something that is very significant as this hour approaches. Then it's finally in John chapter 12, as John turns his attention to the last week of of Jesus' uh, life before the crucifixion, that suddenly we read that Jesus' hour has come. In John's gospel, it's like a a switch has has been flipped. Jesus' entire ministry has been counting down to this moment, uh, the moment of his death and of his resurrection. Jesus, as verse 4 tells us, uh, has has completely obeyed all that the Father has, has said to him, and he has perfectly carried out the mission that has been given to him by his Father. There's nothing more to do, and now the hour has come. The hour of the cross has arrived. And Jesus begins his prayer by acknowledging, Father, the hour, the hour of the cross is here. And it's on this occasion at this hour, which Jesus issues this prayer, which begins with this request, glorify your son. And so we might return to the question that we began with. Isn't this a peculiar thing for Jesus to pray, glorify your son? What does Jesus mean when he asks the father to glorify him? Now, sometimes when we speak of glorifying someone, we mean to extol them or to declare their praises. Yet here, what Jesus means when he says, glorify your son, he's asking the father to clothe him in splendor, to clothe him in splendor. That's what this request is. It's a request to display the son in splendor and beauty and majesty. That's what the request to glorify is. It's to cast a light upon the splendor of the son. Now, Jesus does more than just make this request, you'll notice, he also gives us the purpose behind his request. It's so that the Son may glorify you. The aim of Jesus' request is his Father's glory. Jesus' prayer for glory is not self-serving, but in love and devotion, he looks to his Father and he asks from his Father that his Father uh, would give him that which would lead to the Father's glory. Jesus doesn't ask for for glory as an end in itself. He doesn't pray for glory because like some insecure adolescent, he needs affirmation or he needs to, to feel nice or he needs the attention. When Jesus prays for the Father to glorify him, it wasn't so that he might hoard glory and, and he might sort of take it all to himself and cling fiercely to this glory, but it was so that he might reflect that glory back to the Father. The son wants to be seen as glorious in splendor, not for himself, 
but so that his father, the one uh, whom he has loved from all eternity, the one whom he came to reveal, that, that the father would be glorified and seen as clothed in splendor. This was Jesus' purpose all along, to bring glory to his father, to show the beauty and majesty and magnificence of the father. Jesus, God the Son in the flesh, came down from his father's side to make his father known. That's what we read in John 1.18. So now here, as we stand with Jesus at the footsteps of the throne of grace, we hear the concern that is closest to Jesus' heart. And it's this, that he, that the Son, would conduct himself uh, so that all the beauty of the Father would burst forth because of the Son. Jesus provides, or, or he, he makes this request, he reveals his purpose, but he then provides support for this request by making a comparison in verse 2. So the English Standard Version begins verse 2 with the word since. I think it's probably better here to translate it as just as, uh, the Greek word kathos being used here. Uh, and, and other translations will, uh, English translations will say that, just as or as. So Jesus makes his request, and then he compares it with another thing the Father has given to him. Just as you have given the Son authority over everyone so that he might give eternal life to all whom the Father has given him. So the Son, uh, or the Father gave the Son authority over all people before the world began so that he, so that the Son could in turn give eternal life to everyone whom the Father had chosen. And what's eternal life? Look at verse 3. Knowing God the Father and knowing Jesus his Son. But since you can't know the Father apart from the Son, as John says elsewhere, we might say that eternal life is knowing Christ and knowing the Father through him. The Father's grant, the Father's gift of power to the Son was not so that the Son could wield it idly or for his own gain, but the Father gave authority to the Son so that he might give eternal life to lost and hopeless sinners by making God known to them. And in the same way, this is a comparison The Son asks that the Father would glorify Him, that the the Father would reveal the splendor and glory of the Son for a purpose, so that the, the Son might cause men and women to see and know the beauty and majesty and glory of the Father. So even as Jesus prays that he might be glorified, it's not a prayer of self-serving, of a self-serving glory hound or glory seeker, but his purpose in praying is, first of all, for the glory of his Father, but also as the Father is seen in splendor, that sinners might come and see him and know him and live. Behind Jesus' prayer for for glory is not only his Father's glory, but it is our life. Surely such a prayer could not come from the lips of a self-serving glory seeker. But if there's any any doubt or any cynicism in your mind remaining, let it be cast away as we, we consider our third point, the answer to Jesus' prayer. For while Jesus' prayer that he would be glorified is answered, it's not answered in the way that we might expect. What do you think about when you think of glory? Uh, maybe you think of, of, when you think of glory, you think of parading kings and emperors like Caesar parading through the streets. 
Or maybe you think of glorious buildings like uh, Buckingham Palace or, or, or Schönbrunn Palace in Vienna, these beautiful monuments uh, uh, that have been built. Or maybe you think of the adulation of thousands of screaming sports fans as, as their, their team hoists the championship trophy up in the air. That's our reflex when it comes to glory, right? To think of victory and triumph and adulation and beauty. And the scriptures think this way about beauty as well. It, 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 it thinks of, of power and beauty and victory and adulation. Think of, of, of uh, Exodus 24 when... It, Uh, we have the description of the Lord's presence at Mount Sinai and it describes the glory of the Lord descending on the mountain like a devouring fire. Pretty awesome. Or Psalm 29, a, a, a psalm of praise to the Lord, speaking of the voice of the Lord being over the waters and the God of glory thunders over the many waters. Or Psalm 24, a a victory song of the king, of of the Lord the king. And as the Lord comes parading through the streets in the psalm, it's asked, who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, mighty in battle. Yes, glory, the the Lord's glory is like the triumphant king, like the roaring of thunder, like the blazing of fire. Yes, God's glory is, is like that, that dazzling display, yet mysterious of, of unapproachable light. This is, is the glory which Jesus is speaking about in verse 5, as having uh, belonged to him before the world began. This was the, the brilliant glory that was his by right. It, it was his glory, uh, it was this glory that he praised that the Father would, would cause him to enjoy once more. And yet, without contradiction, the scriptures tell us that the glory of the sun shines most intensely, not in his miracles, not in the the palaces of, of kings, not in the praise and adulation of the crowds, but in John's gospel, glory, glory of the sun, and in turn, the glory of the Father shines most brightly, shines most clearly at a grisly execution stake. Glory shines most brightly at the cross. When Jesus prays, Father, clothe your Son in glorious splendor, it was a prayer he knew could only be answered in the cross. We read in John 12 that the cross would be the hour of the glorification of the Son. So Jesus' prayer, in recognition that his hour had come, this was a prayer that he would be glorified in the jeering crowds. It was a prayer that he would be glorified in the false accusations. It was a prayer that he would be glorified by throbbing muscles and gaping wounds and screaming nerves. It was for the glory of fists tenderizing his flesh. It was for the glory of being hung naked and exposed before his enemies. It was the glory in all this of having imputed to him every wrath-deserving sin of every one of his people. So as Jesus looks to the heavens and as he prays this prayer to his Father, Jesus knows the answer to his prayer that he would be glorified is this, is the cross. So how is this an answer to his prayer? How is this glory? That's not an unreasonable question if you're wondering it tonight. Here's my answer. 
Because as Jesus hung upon the cross, bearing the sins of God's elect, nowhere else in all of history, not in the centuries that ran before it, nor in any of the centuries that would come after it, has God displayed his glorious being and character as he did in the death of his son. On the cross, in his son, the father's wisdom was revealed as he brought to a climax his perfect plan of salvation to save and ransom sinners, to crush the head of the serpent, to redeem the world, and to display the might of his power. On the cross, in the son, the father's faithfulness was revealed as he showed that he is a God who keeps every promise of his word. On the cross, in the sun, there was never a more graphic display of God's absolute holiness and his, his uncompromising commitment to justice as there was when he poured out his wrath upon his son who became sin for us. On the cross, the mercy and grace of God was revealed as God put forth his son so that his sinful people might be spared and pardoned. I know how God's love was manifested in the slaying of his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that his love for us was so great that he did not spare his son, but he gave him up for us all. Never has there been or ever will there be a more vivid expression of the love of God for us. Mark Jones writes, In Christ's death, God's attributes shine forth with a power that is found nowhere else in Scripture or all of world history. So how is the cross an answer to the Son's prayer that He would be glorified and the Father would be glorified in Him? It was the answer because in the death of the Son, God was laid out most clearly for us to see Him, to see the dazzling reality of who He was. That happens at the cross. Now, these are are certainly remarkable, amazing things for us to overhear God the Son saying to to his Father. And as we consider what this means for us, certainly we should look at the crucified Son, uh, we should look at our Jesus, and we should glory in him, and we should glory in the Father. Because here we see the beauty and glory of the Father and Son most clearly. It means that if you want to have eternal life, not some fleeting counterfeit but eternal life. If you, wanna, if you want that, then you need to know God. But if you would know God, then you need to know him in his son. And if you would know the son, then you need to know him in the glory of his cross and of his resurrection. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, uh, this is, uh, you can uh, forget everything else if you really have to, but don't forget this, that eternal life is found only in looking to the Son who was slain for sinners. But there's one more application that I want to make uh, as we conclude. That we should strive to have our priorities in prayer reflect those of Jesus. Al Mohler, in his recent book on prayer, helpfully writes, what we believe about God is revealed most truly, not in what we say about him, but in how we approach him in prayer or in worship. It's one thing to hear a person state what he believes, but it's another thing to listen to him pray. Prayer always reveals the underlying theology. As the old Latin formula reminds us, as we pray, so we believe. So if prayer reveals the heart of a man, 
reveals his truest convictions about God. What does the opening of Jesus' prayer tell us about Jesus' theology? Here's what I think it tells us. It tells us that he thinks that God is ready and able to answer prayers. It tells us that he thinks that that God is glorious and he's worthy to be recognized and adored and obeyed. It tells us that Jesus is convinced that, that the Father is deserving of glory. It tells us that he believes deeply that the Father wants men and women to know him and to know him in his Son tells us that, that Jesus believes that there's no eternal life outside of Christ because there's no knowledge of God or his glory apart from Christ. And what does Jesus' prayer tell us about his, his heart, his passions, the things that, that he cares most deeply about? Well, if it tells us nothing else, it tells us that Jesus' deepest passion is that the Son uh, would glorify his Father that his father would be glorified. That's what Jesus' praying reveals. And so I wonder, um, not without trepidation, what our praying says about us. I wonder what my praying says about me. I wonder what your praying says about you. I wonder what our praying says about us as a church. What do we pray for? Why do we pray for the things that we do? If prayer discloses the heart of a person, then after putting our prayers alongside of Jesus' prayer, we might ask, how does our heart compare to Christ's? How closely do our petitions, how closely do our motivations imitate Jesus? Is the purpose behind the things that that you bring to God a deep passion for his glory to be made known? When you or I pray about our day ahead, when we pray about uh, an ailing loved one, when we pray about our church, when we pray about our fight against sin, do we ask for the things that we ask for because we are determined that God should be clothed in splendor and that we should recognize the beauty of Christ? That the splendor of God should be made known to us and through us to those around us. Well, if in your honest assessment like me, you find that there's a difference between the prayers on Jesus' lips and your own, there's a difference between the motivations uh, of Jesus' heart and your own, let me provide you first with some practical instruction for how we can pray more like Jesus, but then some motivation for how or for why we should do this. First, practically, how do we do this? How do we pray for uh, the glory of God? Well, first, I think we should give more forethought to our prayers. We need to be asking, what is it that I will pray for? One idea is that in your personal devotions, you might take a moment to jot down the things that you'll pray for before you enter into prayer. Or, or fathers, maybe uh, this is a wise idea for you. Maybe in your devotions or in your, uh, on your drive on the way home, you should be thinking about how will you lead the family in prayer when you sit around the dinner table? What are the things that are, are, are most important to you? If, we don't, if we're not intentional about this, we tend to allow the things that are most important to slip to the end. 
I don't know if you've ever been sort of in a business meeting where you haven't planned or, or, or come up with an agenda, and, and all of a sudden you talk about a whole host of other things, and you realize, oh, we're out of time, and we never got to what we really needed to talk about. We need intentionality in our prayers. Second, we need to give thought to the reasons for our prayers. We need to actually ask the question, why am I praying for this? Why does this matter? What do I hope for God, uh, that God will accomplish through this? Third, whether we're praying for uh, the mundane, so maybe it's uh, the kids are driving you absolutely bonkers and it's just a, a moment of heightened sanctification and you turn to the Lord in prayer, or whether it's, it's something that, that seems uh, very large, like praying for our, our, the direction we're going in as a church, we should be praying that God would use the situation or the circumstance we're in to make the beauty and worth and power of his son more clear to us and more clear to others. That's what it means to pray that, that God would glorify himself in his son. So when the kids are going bonkers, the prayer is not, Father, make them stop yelling, or Father, please have the hospital call and say there was some sort of mix-up and my child is actually a well-mannered prodigy somewhere reading books. Right? But maybe the prayer is, Father, in the midst of my impatience, help me to see the beauty of your patience and you're being slow to anger. Maybe it's praying, Father, help me to reflect uh, um, the gentleness of Christ to my child right now so that they might see the beauty of Christ in my actions to them. Maybe when we're praying for God to guide our church, it's not just, Father, give us the right answers, but maybe it's, Father, through this season of discernment, help us to see how great it is that Christ is the king of his church, this one included. Maybe when we're just praying for our daily provision, we're praying that God would help us to meet the bills, which he encourages us to do in the Lord's Prayer. It's not just, Father, help us to, pray, uh, to pay the bills, but it's provide for our family in such a way that, that we and our, our, our kids see the generous provision and care of Christ in this. That's how we should, should be praying. That's what it means to pray that the Father would glorify himself in his Son. But now just a word of encouragement to us. Consider how Jesus' prayer for the Father's glory actually leads to our greatest reward and our greatest happiness. For the Christian, it's not a matter of praying for the things I want and need or praying for the glory of God. Praying for God to be glorified is to pray for us and to pray for those around us to see who God is, to, to have God and his character more truly known to us. And Jesus says that this, knowing God, coming to a deeper knowledge of him, this is eternal life. So while we should pray about the struggles uh, at work, and we should pray about ailing health, we shouldn't just pray for the struggles to go away. When we pray for that, we're settling. We shouldn't just pray for health to improve. When we pray, pray that way, we're settling. Struggles come and go. Sickness and health come and go. But if we pray out of a deep desire and passion that the, the glory and splendor of Jesus would be made known to us and it would be made known through us, in our struggles, in our sickness, when God answers this prayer, this is an answer to prayer that has direct, a direct impact on our eternal joy and on the eternal joy of others. So let's, let's be believe Jesus when we see him praying here. Let's believe Jesus that he got his theology right. 
and that he applied his theology right, and that the content and motivation uh, that he has in in his praying would, let's trust that if we pray in the same way, if we pray for the passion and beauty uh, of the Father to be made known through the Son, that, that this is for our joy, that this is for our life. Let's pray, let, let's, let's believe that Jesus means what he actually says, that if we come and see and know the Father, if he answers this prayer, it is for our life and for our joy. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess um, that the concerns of our hearts are often far from those that we see in our Lord's prayer here in the passage before us, that our concern is too oftentimes not that your name would be hallowed, that we would see you in your splendor and in your glory. And so, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us Forgive us for when we have settled for too little, for things that were too fleeting, and that the deep passion of our heart was not that we might see you in your glory and know you, but it's been for something else. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would graciously do a work of transforming us, giving us stronger desires for the things that really matter. That you would give us a deeper desire to see Christ glorified and the Father glorified in him. And oh God, we pray that you would in our midst, in our lives, that you would glorify your son. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.